0: an account in Scripture that is very familiar to most people. Most people have heard about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Most do not realize that Jesus had been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and on the other side, he had multitudes of people that had gathered around him. He had made the blind to see and the lame to walk. And the word of that had spread in such a way that as he was getting away from that multitude to go for a time of respite, to go for a time of rest, to go for a time to recharge himself, that he would be ready for all that would be before him. When he arrived on the other side of the sea, the multitude gathered again. And you know why they gathered? They had heard that there was a man that made the blind to see and the blame to walk. And that's a moving message. People wanted to see for themselves. They didn't want to wait. They wanted to see for themselves. So the scripture tells us that a great multitude gathered. Well, this morning I want us to talk about the great, the little, and the divine. First, there was a great multitude of people, 5,000 men. Now, as was culturally practiced at that time, women and children were not important. So that crowd of 5,000 men was actually 15 or 20, maybe 25,000. If you're a Baptist education minister, it was 30 or 40, maybe (laughs) 50,000. But it was a great crowd. It was a great crowd, and they all came to see Jesus. They weren't coming to a ball game. They weren't coming to a, a concert. They came in the middle of nowhere to see Jesus. Because just like the blind man testified, I can't talk about all of these other things, but I can tell you this one thing. I was blind, and now I see. We can only testify for what God has done in our lives. And here, that word had spread. And this multitude has come. And they've come to Jesus seeking spiritual satisfaction. They're searching. They want answers. They want to know about this man that can change the lives of people. And that's why they've gathered. Well, Jesus looks out at the multitude, and he's got his faithful followers there, those 12 that have been so close to him, that have walked with him through all these events. And this is on one occasion, one of the few times, maybe the only time, that Jesus asked his disciples, for advice. And notice what he said. He asked a question. Now, the question is, what are we going to do? He didn't say, what are you going to do? Now, notice that he didn't say, what are you going to do? He said, what are we going to do? And the scripture says he already knows what he's going to do, but he wants to see what you're going to suggest that we do. And that says to me that God wants us to be involved in the solutions of the problems that we have in our lives. We're not alone. God's with us, but he wants us engaged in that process. It's not a one thing that we're asking God and sitting back and waiting on God. God expects us to act. He expects us to move. He expects us to do our part. God intends for us to be involved in the solutions to the problems that we have in our lives. And God knows every one of us have problems. We do. Some of them are great problems. If it's my problem, it's a great problem. You know? It's like when someone says you're going in surgery, that's a minor surgery. There is never a minor surgery. All surgeries are major, especially if it's your surgery. It is. Problems are great. We all have problems. But God intends for us to be involved in the solutions. Know this. Jesus knows what he intends to do in any situation any situation Jesus is never caught off guard no one or no situation sneaks up on Jesus now I've got some sisters in law that are sneaky they will sneak up on a conversation they will sneak around but listen no one can sneak up on Jesus he's always in control and he always has a solution he's waiting for us to get involved He's waiting for us to have that dialogue together. The problem was presented here, I believe in Scripture, to test the disciples, to see what they were going to do. I think the problems that we have in our lives come to test us, to see what we've learned, to see how we've become involved. What are we going to do? God wants us involved in that. But also, not only was there a great question, there was a great dilemma. There were too many people to feed. There was not a Tony's chicken and waffle out in that desert. There was not a McDonald's. There was not a Wendy's. There wasn't a Fred's. None of those places were out there. There was no food anywhere around. And the problem was that crowd, no matter what that number is, if it's 10, 15, 20,000, when you count the women and the children, it was a great crowd. It was a great problem. There was a big dilemma. Philip said, and Philip was the bean counter. And now if you're a bean counter, there's a place in life for bean counters. My youngest son is a bean counter. He's an accountant. And they look at things totally different. They do. They look at a bottom line. They look at 1 plus 1 equals 2. All I'm looking at is that 2. I want to make sure everything getting to 2 is correct. But all I'm looking at is that 2. And the bottom line is we have 2. That's how an accountant looks at things. Philip did that. And he said, listen, Lord, we have eight months' salary, and that's not enough money so that everyone here can receive just a little food. Jesus wanted to hear that. He wanted to know what Philip thought. Right, right, right. Philip would be like our Deacon Granger or Sister Karen or Sister Cunningham, Sister Argo on the finance committee. Right. They handle our finances. Their responsibility, they're charged with that. They have that responsibility. We have charged them to think that way. We want them to look at the situation logically. We want them to look at it statistically. Now, if it had been that committee, they would have had graphs and everything. So Jesus, ah, Jesus, this is what we got. If we do that, it's going to take all of it plus some. Then we're not going to have anything. I mean, they would look at it in that logic and financially. But Jesus wanted... disciples to realize there's no way this is going to happen with what we've got he wanted them to start thinking about that he was planting that seed in their minds so that they would begin to think that it was not something they could do in their own power he was putting that on them now there are great problems in the world today we look around there's hunger there's malnutrition there's poverty there's injustice there's disease there's war There's lack of access to safe water. There's lack of shelter. There's lack of medical care. And, you know, I can talk about all that in terms of the world, but you know what? I don't have to go any farther than right here in Polk County for all of those issues. We talk about the world as being other places, but let me tell you, those are things that happen right here in our backyard. And there are people in need, people that have great needs, that we need to reach out. The great problems are there. How are we going to respond to them? 21,000 people, uh, twenty-one thousand children die every day in the world. There are 148 million orphans in the world. And there's a great question. The problems are great, but what are we going to do? Yeah, what are we yeah, going yeah, to do? Yeah. All Christians are called to be a part of the solution. Right, right, right. Now, the dilemma is great. Our resources can never solve the problems of this world. And we need to understand that. Yes, sir. Yeah. We That's need good to accept preacher. that. That's good it's not our resources that are going to do it. Yeah. But I want us to look at the little. As the crowd is gathered there, the scripture says there's a little lad there. Now I want you to understand that term lad. That's a diminutive term. That's a little boy. We were missionaries in Romania. And in the Romanian culture, gypsies are looked down on but the lowest rung on a ladder in society in that part of the world is a gypsy boy. You get no lower than a gypsy boy. Well, that's the term that's used here. Here's a little boy, a little lad. Isn't it often amazing how often God uses small, insignificant things to confound the mighty? This little boy, little boy from a poor home, how do we view ourselves as useful today tell you a little bit about myself i'm i'm one of seven children grew up with a single mom feeding seven children on very little we were poor we didn't even know it we just didn't even know it you remember Pastor talked about those lunch tickets at school were different colors? Yes, we had those lunch tickets. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it was embarrassing to go up and when others looked and saw your lunch yes. ticket punch, yes, and it was a different color. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We had a church that I would have never known this. Pastor, that was absolutely wonderful. At Christmas time and Thanksgiving time brought a huge basket with a turkey and all the fixings for it for our family. Would have never known that, but where my mother worked, they hired me to work part-time, and I happened to be there one day when he delivered it. Otherwise, I would have never known him because that pastor loved us, he respected us, and he didn't want any of those seven children to know that our church was helping us. On a Wednesday night, if you hear the Wednesday night I shared, I I told the church, if you ever have rice pudding, I'm not eating it. I grew up eating so much rice pudding, I don't care if I ever see it again. Some of you would know what that's like. That dish you ate over and over and over again. And I had a mother that could go into a pantry that had very little in it when we said there was nothing to eat and she could fix a full meal. I was just like this little boy. In fact, if you were to go back to my hometown, Clarksville, Tennessee, and ask them about Ron Gunter, they would be shocked to see where I am today. And that's only by the grace of God. This little boy, this little boy, let me tell you, you look at your usefulness to God. God has a use for every one of us. I like what Ethel Merman said, God didn't make no junk. (laughs) He made every one of us and we're special in his sight. And we must always keep that before us. Do you feel too small sometimes to be used by God or too insignificant? Well, let me tell you, it is not our size which determines our usefulness to God but rather it's our willingness to be used by God. We have to be willing. We have to step out. We have to say, yes, Lord, I will do it. And then God will take us and he'll use us. But then look at this little boy again. I love scripture and about Andrew. Andrew is always bringing people to Jesus. He was the evangelist of the group. He was out working the crowd and he found this little boy with his lunch. Now, let me tell you about this little boy, his lunch. It's a famous lunch. It says he had five loaves. No, he didn't have five loaves. He had five little biscuits. Two fish. He didn't have these were smaller than the fish we were catching. They caught yesterday. I didn't even catch one. Didn't even get a bite. There's something about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna let Sister Granger start baiting my hook because they bite her hook. They don't bite mine, even if it's right next door. But he had two fish, probably like a sardine or an anchovy. That was his lunch. But he had five barley loaves. Let me put that in context for you. Barley was the cheapest grain of that day. That means he was from a poor family. He didn't come from a family with servants and high grain. He came from a family that was struggling just like all the others. The cheapest grain available. Loaves that were low-quality grain that says to me that God can use things even when they are not of high quality by the world's standards. So never think God can't use you. Those two fish. When I lived in Romania, I would travel from Bucharest through the Danube Delta down to the Black Sea in uh, Constanza, Constanza. And I would drive through the Delta and there'd be little boys on the side of the road have their hands out like this. And what they were saying to me is, I've got a fish this big, and I want to sell it. Well, invariably, when you would stop, that fish would come down to yeah. about the real size. Yeah. My son, on a stateside assignment, when we were home from the mission field for uh, a few months, had a teacher in Cape Coral, Florida, had one arm. And he would show the class how he would bait his hook with live bait. He'd put the bait in his mouth and, and hook it. I, my son has never forgotten that. He came in one Monday after a weekend of fishing and said, I caught a fish this big. My son came home because he didn't have the other arm. He caught a fish this big, and I told my son, you have met your first honest fisherman. You only caught one side of it. We don't know how big the other side was. As small as his lunch was, he gave it all. Now, I want to ask a question. What if that boy had been selfish? Now, a lot of you have grandchildren, even great-grandchildren. And it's amazing how quickly you can say, mine, mine, mine. We didn't raise them that way. It just happened. That's sin. (laughs) That's all there is. That's sin. But what if he had been selfish that day? What if he said, now, wait a minute. My mom made my lunch for me. Your mom should have made your lunch for you. What if he had done that? the greatest miracle in the New Testament, with the exception of the resurrection, the only miracle that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only one of all the miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels would not have happened if that little boy had been selfish. And isn't it interesting we don't even know what his name is? (laughs) That's what I want to ask when I get to heaven. What's that little boy's name? What is that little boy's name? So important to be recorded in all four Gospels. And God used them to feed the multitude. Listen, if we wait until we have enough, we will never give. And the world will not experience the gracious power of Jesus. The blessings come when we give ourselves and we give our resources, our time, our talents, and our finances to Jesus. And we allow him to use them to minister to others. That's where the blessings come. But not only was it a little offering, there was a little faith. You remember what Philip said? (laughs) Our salaries will never feed these people. And Jesus wanted them to recognize that. He wanted them to realize that if something happens here, it's not going to be because of us. If something happens here, Uh then Andrew with the five loaves and the two fishes of the boy's lunch. It's something But is it enough? Even Andrew had his doubts, bringing the boy and his lunch to Jesus. And this happens to us. Jesus asks us to present a solution to the dilemmas that we have. We get a, a faint glimmer of hope. We have a faint spark of faith. Then we become overwhelmed and we begin to think, but what are these compared to the resources that we have? What are these compared to the problem and how great it is? But remember, it is not the size of the resources. It is the size of the willingness. It's not the size of the offering, but it's the size of the heart that offers it. It's not the size of our faith, but it is the location of our faith. In whom do we trust? We trust Jesus. We stand with him. Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church started with a calling yeah. over 100 years ago. Yeah. The church heard Jesus ask the question, "What are we going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do in Gordonsville? Yeah. Gordonsville needs a church. Yeah. Yeah. We stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, yeah. and we must never forget those. That's right. And some of those are very broad shoulders that paid great prices for us to be able to worship here today in a facility that has air conditioning and indoor plumbing and has a cooling air and has great lights. That was provided by those who came before us. There's a legacy that we have because of them. And we meet because of them. They had a vision. And we're living that today. We've had great growth. I've only been here for a year, and God's done some amazing things in this last year. Yes, but I just can imagine what all God did before I got here. Yeah. You know, I was a, a pastor for almost 25 years. And the last church I pastored before I went to the mission field, I happened to be the pastor at the time we built a multi million dollar education building multiple stories, elevators, and everything. Right, right. But the reality was, I had nothing to do with that. It was the pastors who came before me. It was the vision of a pastor maybe 15 years before I got there who said, we need to plan for this. And they began saving the money for it. Yes, yes. I just happened to be there when God's timing was right and allowed it to happen. Right, right. But unfortunately, it was my name that went on the tombstone, not the tombstone, cornerstone <laughs> in the building. Now, to the old, former pastors, maybe it should have been a tombstone. But they paid the price. I got to reap the joy. And we must always remember that. As we celebrate, as we rejoice, there are others that paid the price before us. And we must always keep it in context and always remember that. But then enters the divine. In verses 10 to 14, there was a divine command. He said, have them sit down. Have the people sit down. Now, they had to exercise faith. Sit down have faith believe trust that jesus is going to provide rather than becoming overwhelmed or pacing about anxiously listen obedience was required and i will say today obedience is required of god's children it is required of us the scripture records that the food was distributed to those who were seated not to the people in general not to the people standing but to those who were seated it was done in an orderly way right. That's right. our God yes. is not a God of confusion yeah, so. Yeah, so. and sometimes the church needs to be reminded of that yeah. That's right. our God is not a God of confusion That's right. That's right. so then we see the divine control Jesus took the loaves he took control of those loaves. It was transferred from that little boy who gave all that he had to Jesus. Jesus took it. And that says to me that the miraculous can happen in our lives when we relinquish control of our lives and our possessions and we turn them over to Jesus. Yes. Amen. You know what? We are simply entrusted with what we have Until we go to be with Jesus. It's not ours. It belongs to God. All of it belongs to God. And we need to be reminded of that. He gave thanks. He didn't plead with the Father with what he was going to do. He thanked God for what they had. Those five little biscuits and those two little fish. The food, the provisions. And then he distributed the resources. He didn't hoard them. He distributed them. And everyone had as much as they wanted. Everyone. Now, some religious organizations ask for money and resources, and they hoard them, Mm -hmm, or they spend them wrongly. But there are good organizations, Good Hope Baptist Church, Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. We're very accountable to that. We're very serious about that. We have a committee that takes great pride in doing what they are entrusted to do, and they do it well. And they know that those resources are given by people sacrificially so that the word of God can be spread so that people can come to know Jesus. But notice the divine competence here. Remember what Philip said? Eight months' salary could not feed these people with each one getting just a little. Yet, from a little boy's lunch, Jesus fed them until they were all full. They had all they wanted. Now, little becomes much when it's placed in the master's hand. Little becomes much when it's placed in the master's hand. Jesus was generous that day but such a sacrificial gift was not to be wasted. What did he say? Gather up the leftovers. <laughs> and the scripture says there were 12 baskets of bread left. No fish ate. ever fish to the last one. Ate them all. Fish wasn't going to keep anyway, and he knew that. So they got all the fish they wanted, but the bread would keep and could be used for another meal. Responsibility, gather it up so that nothing is lost. And there is a difference between generosity and wastefulness. God wants us to be generous in ministering to others, but we are accountable to God for the way we use those resources. We're accountable to limiting wastefulness. That's the responsibility we have. But then notice what he said. This is of a truth, the prophet, the Messiah. The purpose of our giving ourselves, our offerings, and the purpose of ministry in all that we do is to point people to Jesus. If what we do does not point people to Jesus, we better stop doing it. When we give a glass of water, we give it in Jesus' name. When we give a piece of clothing, we give it in Jesus' name. When we feed someone, we do it in Jesus' name. It's to draw them to Jesus, not to us, not to Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, but to Jesus. That's our responsibility. And he's the one that does it. And he wanted his followers to realize that day it wasn't what they did, and they realized it. (laughs) They realized it. Man. Eight months' salary wouldn't have done this. Only God could have done that. And he wanted them to realize that. And he wants us to realize that today. If it's going to happen, God will do it. Yes, sir. yes sir. We need to be willing. We are to follow God's divine command, yeah. his leading, his strategy. We are to step out in faith. We're to give him control of all that we have. Out of faith, we do that. We take very seriously this idea and this issue of accountability. He's shown that he is more than able to do abundantly more than what we could ask or think as we follow him. And just think of what we're doing as a church right now. Now, I know prior to our joining the church a year ago, the year before that, I think you were in Haiti on a mission trip. But just since we've been here, we're helping Tortula Church. We've already been doing that about eight months, I think. Yes. We're, we're coming close to the end of that commitment to give a minimum of $2,000 a month. Yes. Yes. We're raising money to drill wells in Africa yes. Yes. so that people can have clean drinking water. They have boreholes there right now. that are about 25 feet deep. And they pump that water, and that's water. It's just as brown as it can be. They drink it, they do everything with that water. That's why they have such a problem with uh, typhoid, why they have such a problem with malaria, the mosquitoes that gather around that. You have to go hundreds of feet to get clear drinking water. And the wells that we're gonna be drilling for the next 10 years will provide communities fresh drinking water. Who would have thought that even in the day in which we live, we would be buying bottled water in our homes when we can drink the tap water. But then we've realized even in Flint, Michigan, you can't drink the tap water because the government was not testing it or was not sharing the results of the testing. Yeah. I had a, a multi-multi-millionaire in the last church I pastored, owned the local bank and owned banks all around that part of Texas. And I loved him to death. He was one of my deacons. And in, in our culture, we had monthly business meetings, financial report, full of disclosure of everything every month and everyone got to say anything they wanted to say and they did sometimes (laughs) inappropriately but they did but I'll never forget this deacon and he was the main contributor to our church anytime there were special offerings uh, he made sure we met our goal that was just the giving heart of that man he got up one night in a business meeting and he objected to what we were going to do the church voted and he lost But then he got up and said, Pastor, I move that we make the decision on this vote unanimous. Everyone approving. It It never affected how he felt or how he gave to his church. He said, I'm part of the family. I can be wrong. And if I'm wrong, that's fine. Let's make it a unanimous thing. Let's do it together so that we're united in what we do for God. But these wells are going to make a difference. These wells are going to make a difference. And these people that have come to know Christ in this last year, I thank God for that. I thank God for one of our, our newest members that brought her grandchildren to the Lord and then brought them just recently as they walked down the aisle to make a public decision of their faith in Jesus Christ. She's a fairly new member of our church. She's one of our ushers. Man, that's a blessing to see there me tell you, the world is facing serious problems. And God invites us. In fact, he expects us all to participate in the solutions. We have resources. God has blessed all of us. Hasn't he? I look back to where I came from. Three bedroom, one bath house, about 1100 square feet. Six brothers and sisters. We didn't even close our eyes when we prayed the blessing over our food because we were afraid one of our siblings was going to get the head start for us during the prayer. Listen, I'm serious. And if you were to ask people from that time, they probably would have said, not going to amount to a thing, but by God's grace, by God's grace. I had an older pastor when I was growing up, and He said, everyone talks about the good old days. He said, let me tell you about the good old days. The only good thing about the good old days is they're gone. He said, I'm not going back to the day of an outhouse. I'm not going back to the day of going down the street to get a bucket of water from a a pipe out of the ground. I'm not going back to a time when we didn't have air conditioning. He said, you want to, that's fine, but I'm not. We can relate to that. We have resources, God's blessed us, but sometimes we underestimate those blessings. We think we're too small to be used by God. But my question to you this morning is, how big is your heart? How committed is your will? When our lives and our resources are committed to Jesus, and when we obey his directions, I'm here to proclaim this morning, miracles still happen. Miracles still happen. I want you to know this morning that God is able to accomplish more than we could ever dream possible if we will cooperate with him and we will do what he desires for us to do. Good hope the best is yet to come. We must never forget how we got here. We must never forget the legacy of those that came before us and the prices that were paid, but we must make the investment so those that come after us can speak fondly of those of us that are here now that we were faithful to what God called us to do. I want to be like this little boy. You don't need to know my name. You just need to know I followed Jesus. This morning, if you're not following Jesus, my challenge to you is trust him. Follow him. Yeah. Let God use you. Yes, sir. And one day yes, sir. we'll look back and we'll say, Oh, my Lord, thank you. Thank you.